0: We're live! This is the Life of Gem live video podcast. You're watching season two, episode five of the Life of Gem video podcast. Go to JuanitaEMance.com to see all of my archived episodes. Um, You can see 18 episodes of season one and four episodes of season two. Tonight is going to be a super cool episode. I have Greg Rollins here. Wave hi, Greg. He's an attorney. He's an amazing writer and author. He wrote a book called Make Your Case. He's a colleague of mine in Riverside. He was a prosecutor for over a decade, and he now is a criminal defense attorney. And he's going to give us the scoop about his book, about his writing process, his teaching you when he was a substitute, and how he went from the prosecutor's office to being a defense attorney and writer. So. I worked with Greg when he was a prosecutor, and I've worked with him since as a defense attorney, um, you know, in the courtroom as such. And I have to say, he was always one of the good ones. He was always one of the nice guys. He was a straight shooter. I always trusted what he said. He has a strong ethical backbone. And that you're going to see that when you read his book, Make Your Case. So we're going to talk about his book, Make Your Case, which is actually a how-to book with narrative woven in. It's almost a textbook example of how to do this. I had never seen that done in the legal field and he did a great job of it. So let me read his bio and then I'm going to let him talk and bring them in. Greg Rollins graduated, there he is, from UC Riverside in 2005 with a bachelor's degree in history and administrative studies. He then attended school at Western State University College of Law. In 2010, he graduated from law school and passed the California bar exam. He spent the next decade working as an award-winning prosecutor at the Riverside County District Attorney's Office. And his book talks about this. During his career as a prosecutor for 10 years, he won Misdemeanor Prosecutor of the Year, not once, but twice, two years in a row. In 2020, right before COVID hit, and we're going to talk about that, Greg left his career as a prosecutor and started his own criminal defense practice, the law offices of Gregory Rollins. In 2021, he had a really good COVID year. He released his first book, Make Your Case, which uses exciting case examples and applies principles for success that Greg has learned in his many years as a trial lawyer. The book is written in such a way, and this are his words, that its principles can be applied to anyone in their own lives, whether they are an attorney, a business person, or a homemaker. So let me unmute you, Greg, and I'll bring you in welcome
1: hi Juanita thank you thank you for having (laughs) me on the show tonight
0: yeah you know I've been itching to have you on when your book first came out I started reading it and I was like wow this is a really interesting way do you want to hold up your book for everyone
1: yeah hopefully it'll show with the uh on the screen but here it is right here yeah
0: there you go make your case and um the book is so well-written. T- tell us about how it came about. I'm really interested in that.
1: Well, the the credit, uh, a, a big part of it goes to my wife. Um, when uh, I left the DA's office and started my own business, the first three months, uh, courts were closed. And if you're a criminal uh, defense attorney especially, you live in court. And so with courts closed, I didn't have anything to do. So I was sitting at home just you know, waiting for business to start coming in. And uh, I love to read. I've always liked to read and I'm I'm good at writing. And my wife and I were having a conversation one day and she said, you know what you should do? You should write a book. It'd be, you know, good for marketing, good for business. And you got a lot of good insight you can share. I said, yeah, but I don't know the first thing about writing a book. I don't know anything about that. seems, you know, complicated. And she said, well, I know a guy. And uh, she had a previous coworker of hers, that had written not one but two books. And so she got me in touch with this uh, this guy and I I talked to him and he said, Hey, you sound like you have a really good idea for a book. I'm gonna get you in touch with my publisher. You know, and then I spoke with the publisher and kind of just told them a little bit about my background and some of the ideas I had. And they said, This sounds like it'll make a great book. Let's do it. And then wow. I, Yeah, over the course of the next year I uh I had a crash course in in writing books and editors and publishing and and the whole bit. So it was a lot of hard work, a lot of fun, but it was a it was a great experience.
0: That's fantastic. You know, it kind of goes along with my theory that I have that writing is magic. And whether you want to call it the universe, I'd probably call it God. You know, he works in mysterious ways. And I too wrote my first book during COVID. My second book took me 15 years, and I published that recently. But my first book I wrote during COVID. Yes, and which like, I also
1: yeah. got, got a copy of. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very rewarding thing. It's not easy to write a book. But you can tell, especially, you know, like in your book, when people just pour their heart and soul into what they're writing. Um, and I know, especially your first book, I hadn't talked to you about the second. But I know there was a lot of passion behind that oh. and, and a lot of heart that went into it.
0: I really appreciate that. You know, I think the best books are a combination of of heart and craft, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because you can have all the heart in the world. But if you don't know how to craft your book, it's going to be a mess. But you can't just have craft and no heart. And what I loved about your book is that you were so honest with who you are. Um, you start it out as a substitute teacher, and I assume the example was a little tongue-in-cheek. You're talking about these kids that are kind of throwing things at you. My twin sister would say it might be reality uh, for subs. It's oh, a no, no, no. Job. It was
1: reality. It was reality. <laughs> it was one day of substitute teaching, not not a career of substitute teaching. Uh, I was in my last uh, two quarters of, <laughs> of undergrad. It's uh, the real deal. This part was not made up. <laughs> This was, this was all true. So um, you
0: basically had one of the worst days of your life as a substitute teacher.
1: I, I still occasionally have nightmares about that. But, uh, but no, I had gone through three and a half years of undergrad, uh, history major, love history. And I thought, hey, I'm going to share my passion with other people who love history. <laughs> and I'm going to make that come alive. And you know, I'm getting towards the end. They say, "Hey, you got to do student teaching now. You got to get some practical experience. It's time to start doing that." You're getting to the end. And I said, "Okay, well, I guess I got to do some, you know, substitute teaching." So I sign up for my first day, and I get a call, and I, you know, I should have known when they called me for a middle school that something was up. But I said, "Okay, well, you know, middle school. I went to middle school. It's fine. It was good, no problem." Um, so I show up there, and within the first 20 minutes, I thought, "Oh my goodness." <laughs> myself into. A fight literally broke out in in the room, physical fist fight, and I had to referee that, pull the kids apart, call the office. Um, I'd spent so many years in schooling, that uh, in college and things like that, that I always referred to my teachers now as professors. So I was telling the students, you know, hey, when your professor gets back, when they get back, and they would just all just, as a class, break out in laughter. Professor? It's a teacher. It's, you know, Mr. or Mrs., whatever it was. and Oh, man. And and then, you know, the conversations just went in all sorts of directions like, you know, well, we never have to do homework or we never do these grades or, hey, who are you voting for in the upcoming election? Just all kinds of off the wall sort of stuff. And I thought, I don't think I can do this. I'm not going (laughs) to go for it. As a a
0: former juvenile uh, rabble rouser, I would have been one of those kids giving you crap, I have to admit, and I'm sorry for that.
1: Well, you know, uh, like you said, all things work together for a purpose (laughs) because had it not been for those uh, junior hires, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you today. So
0: So you have a bunch of uh, obnoxious middle schoolers to thank for you being a lawyer now.
1: Yeah, and I came home and I said, well, teaching's out. So especially high school teaching, I got to figure something else out. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I had taken a undergrad business law class and I actually enjoyed it uh, and did well at it. And I thought, well, I enjoyed that. I wonder if I can go to law school and come to find out history is one of those majors that is good for getting into law school. And so I did my research, found a a good school and, you know, something that was going to fit my needs. And that with a
0: scholarship, uh,
1: but the scholarship, that was kind of one of my big things is, you know, law school's not cheap. And for for me, for my family, for our means, I'm a first generation lawyer. My my parents weren't gonna be able to afford law school. Yep. I knew it was all gonna to have to come out of my pocket. And so if there was any way that I could figure out a way to cut the cost, I I wanted to. And when a local law school offered me a scholarship, I said, Well, I, I think this is a sign that this is where I need to be. And yep. I'm so glad that I took that risk. You know, if I had just played the safe route, I probably wouldn't be here either.
0: Well, and, I have to, I have to say this. It's another theory of mine about life. You know, I was a corporate lawyer for seven years. I worked at the biggest law firm in Texas. I made more of my first year of practice than I probably ever made as a public defender. And, um, or I'm about making what I made my first year at 13 years in after four, three promotions. And, uh, but I did it for seven years. And you know what, Greg? I knew the first day I was in the wrong place. Hmm. So I think it takes a really brave soul to just know this is not for me and to move on and take a risk right away. And it benefits you in life. Just like writing that book. You could have spent all this time writing that book and been like, oh, this doesn't work, right? But the journey is sometimes part of the joy, too. I mean, did you like law school?
1: Well, I, you know, it's funny because... You talk to some attorneys and they're like, oh, don't go to law school, never go to law school, whatever you do, it's, it's, it's the worst experience you'll, you'll ever have. Don't do it. Don't be an attorney. And I, frankly, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed law school. Mm-hmm. I really came out of my shell undergrad. I was very introverted, closed mm-hmm. off, you know, didn't really hang out with very many people. And I became more socially engaged in mm-hmm. law school. And I think part of that is just confidence that comes with that. Yeah. Um, and as an attorney, believe it or not, you kind of have to be, you know, socially aware.
0: Oh, as it. a criminal defense attorney, for sure. <laughs> Probate attorney, maybe not. Yeah. Criminal or, defense or, attorney. You know,
1: trial work, too. You, you oh, got to yeah. be able to, to go out there and be willing to talk to people. You got to talk to a jury of 12 strangers. And so yeah. it's not easy, uh, but it takes practice. And, and that's kind of how I journeyed into that.
0: And you know, I've always loved school. I'm in school right now. I mean, I'm always going to school. Even if I'm not in a, a degree program, I'm always taking some kind of class. And it's because I don't, I think it's that social aspect of it. Because even during COVID, I was in school. And so we do in asynchronous online. And I know you're teaching a class right now, too. And I want to talk to you about that. I forgot to ask you about that. But you know, the whole school uh, community when you're older, don't you appreciate it more? Wouldn't you say?
1: You know it's different because I, you know, I didn't appreciate it the same. Um, like when you went to law school, there were two people, two types of people, right? There were the ones that were fresh out of college, like me, and were there for yeah, law school, but for party too. Um, and then there were the older, more established people who had already, you know, married, had kids, were maybe working on a second career, and you could just tell the distinction between, Mm -hmm. you know, those people and how they valued the education and and why they were there and what their purposes were for. Um, But I did enjoy going to law school as a younger person and having that experience with younger people. But now I think if I were to go back to school now, your your purposes are different. Back then, a big part of going was the social interaction and wanting to meet people and interact with people. And now, if I were to go back, it'd be for actual the joy of learning or wanting to learn something new or wanting to better myself or improve myself, which don't weigh as highly on your list a lot of times when (laughs) you're 25 or 26.
0: (coughs) And you're teaching a class right now. What are you teaching? And at what school? I'm
1: teaching criminal law for Trinity University. So they have an online uh, legal program they've recently started. Uh, they reached out to me and said, hey, we're looking for professors. Uh, are you interested? And I thought, well, let me give it a try. Uh, this, I, I am happy to say, has been a much better experience than middle schoolers.
0: Oh, yeah. You're totally like more college professor style anyway.
1: You know, I haven't had any fights in the classroom. Mm-hmm. It's been virtual so far. So, I mean, you know, maybe when their screens are off or something. But uh,
0: <laughs> I haven't had
1: to referee anything.
0: Yeah, and I think you're definitely going to get a more mature population at at a law school. And that's in Santa Ana, right, I think?
1: Uh, Yeah, they're in Santa Ana. This online flex course that they offer, though, can be taken by anybody anywhere. So Mm. uh, there's students all over the country.
0: They awarded one of my um, former interns who was in law school there and died during law school a uh, a post-death degree. So I love Trinity for doing that for her. Yeah, well, that's, Um,
1: that's a nice thing, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, she was almost done. Um, so you start out in the book with substitute teaching mm-hmm. and then, um, you go to law school. And then my question is, what do you use from that history degree? And you talk about it in your book a little bit, um, in your practice of law.
1: Well, law is based on history, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you go to law school, even tonight, when we were going over our, our courses, I'll, a lot of cases come from like the 1870s, the 1890s. I mean, it's all history because law is based on precedent. And precedent is all about history, what happened before. And so that just kind of naturally fell into place because I'm a very sequential sort of thinker. And so it was easy for me to pick up on, okay, what happened before, cause and effect, what did this lead to? How did this you know, lead to where we're at now? And so yeah. that kind of history mindset just kind of fell into place uh, because a lot of history is all about cause and effect. You know, yeah. if if some country invades another country, what do you think the effect is going to be? Or if uh, another country has an embargo of this country, what is the effect? And so history is all about cause and effect. You know, it's about interactions between countries and and people and and places, and so. Uh, Law is a lot about that very, very cause and effect related. You know, if I punch somebody in the nose, there's going to be there's going to be consequences to that.
0: And and that's what's funny is this contradiction that law is based on this historical, this very highbrow kind of precedent. Mm -hmm. But when you go into um, a state superior court criminal law courtroom, Mm -hmm. the only movie or show that captured it for me was better call Saul they would bring out this old zine of television with this big ugly extension court the clerk would be blowing her nose and drinking her coffee and and it was I was like that's what we do every day and no and everyone had shown it as like highbrow and all this stuff and maybe it is in federal court appellate court but what we do every day in state superior court in some ways it's very McDonald's like we're like you know it's the volume of it it's that you know we you're, you're any, in the trenches place. yeah
1: you're, you're, you're in the trenches and there's so much work i mean i remember the first day as an intern with the da's office i walked into one of the calendar courtrooms which as you know handles maybe a hundred cases a day and the first thing when i walk in there if for those of you that are familiar with the setup of a courtroom you have like the audience center and the first two rows of the courtroom are taken by people in chains and jumpsuits <laughs> And I thought, "Oh my gosh, uh, what is going on here? There's yeah. 16 inmates. I see one deputy, and I'm pretty sure that gun only has six bullets. You know what's going to happen? And I was so nervous that first day uh, in court, and now it's just second nature. you know, I walk in and there are people like you and me, you know if, Of all the yeah. years I practice, I think I've seen one or two incidences happen in court. 100 percent. You know? And
0: and and I think that's really interesting you bring that up, because I write a lot about how desensitized we become mm-hmm. as public defenders and criminal defense attorneys and DAs, and even the court and the judge, we're all desensitized, the deputies, um, you know, they call our clients bodies, and we're like, okay, I try to say it now, please don't use that term. And you know what, the deputies have been very receptive to me and said, thank you, Miss Mance for telling me that you're right. Mm-hmm. I'll bring your client up. But I mean, I think that the fact that what your first day you noticed that and I try to notice it every day now. And I do believe that every client is just a person, no matter what they've done, they're still a child of God, right? So I try to treat every client, and I'm sure you do too. like how I would want my own family to be treated if now, someone was to Honestly
1: them. that was one of the most eye-opening things for me mm-hmm. becoming a defense attorney, right?
0: Wow. Um
1: and it's not that prosecutors are, you know, some sort of a godless people out there. But there's to, a
0: distance uh, there. To, yeah.
1: There's just there's a there's a distance and there's this belief which, you know, is understandable, but there's this belief yeah. that every single defendant is is lying or not to be trusted or not to be believed and you can't blame the prosecutor for for happening to have that mindset. They deal with so many cases, and nine times out of ten, that's the case. But as a defense attorney, you can't lump everybody together mm-hmm. like that. You know, your client no. is an individual.
0: Yeah. And one
1: of the things that I learned as a defense attorney is there are two sides to every story. And I knew it as a prosecutor, but it was really driven home for me as a as, as a private defense attorney. And so important just to be able to sit down and listen to their side of what. What happened, and it 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 was really an eye opening experience because it's funny when I left, people would ask me, "Hey, you know, you're a good guy. You you go to church. You try and do the right thing. You're nice people. Why are you gonna go defend criminals?" Like I would get that question a lot, just flat out. Mm -hmm. Why do you want to go get get let criminals out on the streets? And I said, "Look, it's not about that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about justice, and it's about." Um, wanting to make sure that their side of the story is told too, that they get a fair outcome. So no, I'm not out to pull a fast one over the court or the prosecutor. Never. Yeah. But I also want to make sure that whatever they did, they're held responsible for that and not something else. Uh, And so many times I get calls from clients that'll start out rather than, Hey, uh, can you tell me how I hide a body? I've actually never gotten a call. It starts out like that. It starts out more like, uh, hey, I made a mistake. Um, Can you help me?
0: Yeah.
1: Hey, I'm in trouble. I never thought I would be calling a defense attorney. Can you help me? I mean, so many times it's just people who just need help through the system. They've never been through it or a family member. Hey, my son, he's 19. He made some bad choices. What can you do for him? I don't want to see him throw his entire life away at 19." Yeah.
0: Every, yeah. Steve Harmon has always said that, you know, the head of the public defender's office, every single client is someone's mother, father, mm-hmm. brother, son. And our motto now is we help people in trouble. That's our new motto that we're using on social media that we just started this campaign. And I work on the social media stuff with Judith Gowan and an intern. But I mean, we help people in trouble. And if people realize that because I get that question too,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know, from my older life. number one, they think I'm a paralegal because they're, they're my cousin and they're like, we don't have any lawyers in the family. I'm like, I'm a lawyer. And they're like, aren't you a paralegal? No, I'm a lawyer. And, but I mean, the other thing is, they'll be like, how can you represent all those people? And I'm like, every single person has a story. Mm. And my job is to lead them through what I deem a broken system with grace. And I'm there to help them navigate the system that will eat you up and spit you out. And, you know, your book is, I, what I loved about your book is number one, That journey you make from teacher to lawyer to prosecutor to criminal defense attorney and how you show your ethics when you're doing this and how you live your life and how you practice. And I write a lot about practice and practice is mindfulness. Everyone has their own specific way we do this job. But if you do it with integrity and grace, it will never do you wrong. No, no. And,
1: I, and I talk about that extensively in the book is that everybody needs to set up their own ethical lines, their own yeah. ethical boundaries. Um, and, you know, I, I obviously believe that there, there are right things and wrong things, of course, but for everybody, the ethical boundary is going to be a little different. Yeah. Uh, and some people, you, you have to ask yourself, what am I ethically okay with, not okay with? Now. That's that's not to say, hey, if you're ethically okay with deceiving the court or something, then that's okay. That's never okay. Mm -hmm. But-
0: For officers at the court. Yeah.
1: Right. Some people just, you know, for me, I'll I'll give you an example. So ethically, I don't feel right about taking a case that I don't feel qualified that I could represent or help somebody. For me, that's one of those ethical boundaries that I set up. Hey, if I'm not going to be the right guy or if I'm not going to be a good fit, that's okay. Yeah. And- I also set up ethical boundaries that if, you know, a client wants me to do something that ethically would not be right or not appropriate, then I'm not going to do that. And it's tough sometimes, you know, I've lost business because clients would want me to do things that weren't ethically appropriate. And, you know, they don't know what sometimes ethically is or is not appropriate, but I said, I, I can't do that. You know, my, my job is not to, deceive, it's to try and make sure that justice is done.
0: And not only that, but what I really liked in your book is that line you say about, um, I don't tell a client I can win their case. I tell a client the truth about their case. And that's why you'll get referrals. And the clients you do get will be happy regardless because you're being realistic. You're not promising them the moon like some private attorneys do who will remain unnamed. And, And public defenders, I would say... We get a bad rap from our clients because we own we have no motivation to tell them anything Mm -hmm. but what we really think. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there are public defenders that are negative that might look at a case too negatively. I tend to be an optimist um, and I try to give the client some hope, even in the most dark circumstance. Mm -hmm. I think hope is super important because a lot of people don't realize their clients are incarcerated during covid. They were in cells 23 hours a day. And, you know, it became, you had to give the client something to hold on to, right? And going going back really quick to how many hours we work as a a new DA or public defender, I remember my first day I walk in, it's Dan Messner, who used to have a ponytail and was into the Grateful Dead, uh, Graham Donneth, and there was this stack of files about two feet, three feet high, and they're like, Juanita, all we got to tell you is don't cherry pick your cases, take it off the top. And I'll never forget that, because I was like, how are we going to get through this whole stack? There's only four of us. It was me, Bernice Espinoza, who's no longer with my office, Graham Donath, who's no longer with our office, and Dan Messner, who now is in San Bernardino as a public defender, and Graham is private, and Bernice does immigration law. But I still remember that first month, and I'm like, "How? this is hard work, man. This mm-hmm. is on your feet all day. Run to lunch, run back to court. Done at four thirty or five most days, and then you got to go home and prep for the next day.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's mm-hmm. it, it's a hard job, and it, just like anything, you you have to set boundaries. And I, I'm a yeah. big believer of balance, and I think that comes through in the book as well. Oh um, yeah, where you have to set balance, you have to set what your priorities in life are, um, because otherwise you're you're going to burn out you're not going to you're not going to be living a life that you're happy with mm-hmm. uh, and for me you know i defined what that balance was and a big you know thing for me is family family yeah, is yeah. so huge for me and that came into the balance scenario it's one of the big reasons why i left the da's office in fact was because i felt that it wasn't giving me the flexibility i needed yeah. to be yeah. kind of the husband and father i needed to be at that point in my life, you know, I had very young kids and the job was just demanding too much time without the mm-hmm. flexibility that I needed. I remember one morning, and
0: without the coin, they're not even paying you to make it worth your while. Right. I mean, come well, on.
1: It, it was a nice steady paycheck. I mean, that was
0: right. Nice. But it's uh, not big money is what I'm saying. You're not going to get rich.
1: Well, you no, know? you're, you're definitely yeah. not going to be, uh, uh, driving, uh, you know, a, a Maserati or anything like that. But uh, it's was, I mean, it's public service, Juanita. It's, yeah. you know, w- what we do is public service at yeah. the end of the day.
0: And we um, don't do it for the money, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is if they're going to ask us to sacrifice, 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 mm-hmm. and be chronically understaffed, they need to pay us better. Um, they need to pay teachers better. They need to pay a lot of public servants better. I mean, I make a good living now. Don't get me wrong, but I'm mm-hmm. a four and it took me 13 years to get here and so much sacrifice. And when my first year of practice, I made more waitressing. I was like, I'm going to have to go get a bartending job on the side because this don't pay diddly. I couldn't believe my paycheck.
1: I was yeah, like, is like, this right? <laughs> I mean, so many people struggle with things like that. Yeah. You know, it's just, you you work so hard and it's just like where does the money go at the end of the day and yeah uh whether you're an attorney or you're working like you said it, you know as a waitress or whatever it is it's just the money never seems to stretch no matter yeah no matter what you're doing i don't know i don't know what happens to it i think there's a vacuum or a funnel that it just kind of all goes into but
0: well, and plus, as a county employee, they take out a lot of other stuff they don't when you're a private employee. But let's move to COVID. So oh I I love that part of your book because it's almost like that sliding door scenario with that movie um, where you decide you're going to leave the DA's office. Um, you might take a while, but then the rumor mill, as we as county employees, I can tell you the rumor mill is vicious. Delicious. And um, the rumor mill started, someone finds out you're talking, you're thinking of leaving. So you decide to leave and then COVID hits and you say in the book, and I love this line where you say, but for the fact that you were forced to leave a little earlier than you thought, you might still be there because you would have never left during COVID.
1: T- timing is, is everything, right? You know, mm-hmm. and I, I had started thinking a few months before I left, uh, you know, maybe I will, Maybe I'll leave eventually, I don't know exactly when, mm-hmm. um, but m- maybe that's the the direction and the path that I'm gonna go in. Um, and, and I had always frankly wanted to see what the other side was like. I felt to be a yeah. fair and balanced attorney, it, I, I really owed it to kind of myself, my future career, everything like that, to see what the other side is like. And it was an eye-opening experience, let me tell you. But yeah, um, yeah what. You know, I, I was thinking about it. I hadn't made any firm final decisions, but like I talked about in my book, before you do anything, make sure you build a foundation, right? Mm-hmm. And so before I was going to make this jump, just like I had done in my life, you know, when you make big moves, I don't, I, I'm not an impulse person where yeah. I'm going to wake up one morning and say, Hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to quit my job today <laughs> and, uh, and see where I end up by this afternoon. That's just not my style. I'm a planner. I I like to mitigate risk and I like to see if something makes sense. Uh, and that's the first chapter in the book talks about building the same thing with law school. We'll look into it, see if it's going to be a good fit. Uh, look into a good place to work, see if it's going to be a good fit. And, and this was the same thing. But in order to do that, I had to reach out to other people who were in the known. So mm-hmm. you know, it, talked to other defense attorneys. I said, "Hey, tell me about what you do. Do you enjoy what you do? Um, do you find it rewarding? How is it different from being a prosecutor?" You know, I talked to former prosecutors who were defense attorneys. Should I leave? Should I not leave? You know what? What is your personal life like? What? How often do you work? Do you? You know what? What do you do? And and frankly, defense attorneys or private attorneys sometimes work more than prosecutors do, but yeah. you have the flexibility of Uh, You know, I've worked at 10, 11 o'clock at night, which sometimes I didn't do as a DA because I was in the office eight to five. But as a private attorney, being your own boss if like, hey, I got to do stuff in my private life between, let's say, 10 and three. I can work from four to 10 if I have to or whatever. And that flexibility was nice. But yeah, when, when I went around and started asking questions and stuff like that, you know, somebody caught wind of something, and before I knew it, yeah, I had taken sabbatical, and the first day I come back from sabbatical, everybody's saying, like, so you're leaving? You're leaving? I heard you're leaving, and I thought, well, what went on? I've been gone a few weeks on sabbatical, and now everybody's telling me I'm leaving the, the DA's office, and um, yeah. Within hours, I was approached by management. They said, okay, you know, are you leaving? Yes or no? Let us know. We need to know now. And I thought, well, you know, I guess cat's out of the bag that, you know, I'm thinking about leaving and maybe that's the sign. And so I said, okay, well, I'll give you three weeks notice. I I guess I will. This was mid-February and my last day at the beginning, March 13th and by the following Monday.
0: That day is my husband's birthday, and I was at AWP, which is a writing conference in San Antonio, that the week before. And you're right, yeah. COVID hit the week after. Yeah, March the, the world
1: literally closed down. I remember thinking the day before uh, my last day, when the grocery <laughs> yes. stores are running out of food and it was pouring rain, and and I thought, what am I doing? Yeah, is it too late to tell them, hey, just kidding? <laughs> Uh, know, to clean, yeah, I've cleaned out my office. I've pretty much <laughs> signed all the paperwork. I've given all my cases off. Uh, I wonder if they'd take me back. And I said, you know what? No, I, I've I've come this far. I'm going to trust that this is mm-hmm. the, the reason I'm here. That that there's a purpose for for me leaving, and and I'm going to trust that process. And I'm so glad I did.
0: I'm so glad you did, too, because I think you're a, a really huge asset to the criminal defense bar community uh, just because of who you are and what you know and your ethics and your personality. But I, what I find funny is that I'm not deliberate. I'm, I'm very impulsive. Um, my dad died and I quit my corporate law firm job in San Francisco, left my husband to finish his last year of dental school and moved back home to live with my sister in Colton. I didn't have a job. I didn't have anything. I gave up all this money i just left and then i got a job at bbk then at the public defender's office but it was chaotic right mm-hmm. you tried to be deliberate but regardless chaos ensued right with covid yeah. so wh- how'd you handle that so you had to build this practice during covid was that almost impossible did it take a while
1: you know it i talk about it in the book is is mm-hmm. This whole process that I lay out in the book is how I was successful in the courtroom, in trials, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, in my personal life, and in building this business. And it took preparation, number one. Yeah. Prepare, 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 prepare. And so when things start getting thrown, those curveballs, which are always going to happen, when those start getting thrown your way, you're better able to deal with them or respond to them. Yeah. But beyond that, it's about thinking outside the box and defining what a win is. So for me, okay, courts are closed. What am I going to do? I I could just stay at home and cry um, and say, poor me, or I can do something about it. So I said, well, I'm going to spend these, you know, until courts open up, I'm going to spend this time researching and figuring out all these things that I don't know. And, you know, I, I read up on areas of law I wasn't familiar with on, you know, the, of being a criminal defense attorney, Mm -hmm. just all sorts of little nuances that I thought, Oh, it's going to be a cinch. You know, I already know this. I've been doing this for a decade Uh, to find out how different it was on the other side, uh, approaching it from a different angle. And so I was thankful to have that time. It gave me time to be prepared and to hit the ground running. when courts started opening back up. I spent time building out my website and doing all this stuff. You know, I went from being a, a, a government employee to a business person I'd never run yeah. a business a day before in my entire life I had no idea what I was doing and all of a sudden I had marketing to worry about and expenses and mm-hmm. all this sort of stuff and ha- honestly having that three months of the course closed was a blessing and yeah. you know during that time is when the idea and then
0: writing your book
1: yeah which yeah. is the so, ultimate I mean,
0: marketing tool right right So when you wrote your book, what I loved about it, it is is a high to how to book, I would say, in the sense Mm -hmm. that you have these mantras, you have these lessons, you know, it's not a memoir, it's not fiction, it doesn't have a plot per se. But you do do many, many vignettes, which I love. I love short form writing. I love flash fiction. I love Sandra Cisneros, her little vignettes. I love anyone that can write in a short form. And you do these little vignettes. And they're, I'm assuming they are hybrids that you took different cases and different things and you change some details to preserve anonymity. How hard was that?
1: It was difficult.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's very hard. <laughs> um, so what I had to do was You know, I sat down with the publisher and we talked about ideas. I said, Mm -hmm. "Okay, these are the ideas and things like that. And it really took a lot of soundboarding to just throw the ideas out and say, "Okay, this is what the original case kind of looked like, you know, obviously not giving confidential information, not breaking confidentiality, but saying, "Okay, here's a a general case that I dealt with. Um, Here are some of the issues that came from that case. I think this case would illustrate such and such a principle that I want to put in the book. Um, hey, I think this case would illustrate such and such a principle that I want to put in the book. And so I went through and I I started thinking about cases I had dealt with that dealt with principles that I wanted to handle. The first step in me writing the book was writing an outline, which was not easy.
0: Oh, I don't outline, but I know I should.
1: You know, and that was hard, writing out what chapters I wanted and what I wanted the chapters to include and then trying to figure out what cases that I wanted to to tie into that. That was not easy. So basically
0: you almost wrote a book proposal and then an outline, which is an outline. And then you use that to write your final draft. Yes. Mm
1: -hmm. Because I I felt with a book like this, I needed structure. Oh yeah. Otherwise it was going to be all over the place. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really, really wanted structure. I wanted something that was easy to read, easy to follow. Uh, one of the big problems with lawyers is we speak in a language that nobody understands. Right. Uh, and so many times they'll say, oh, you know, uh, I had a client, he's facing a PC-484 charge today and he they speak in lawyer speak yeah. and nobody knows what they're talking about. You know, in my criminal law class tonight, we talked about asportation. Who talks about asportation except lawyers, which means carrying away property. Uh, but mm-hmm. why don't we say that? You don't say that. We like to come up with fancy words that nobody uses. And so I said that's definitely not what I want in the book. Yeah.
0: So no, and it, you know, it does speak to the non-lawyer, which is really important. And I noted that that was your goal too. But um what was so interesting about it is that you were able to capture the legal aspect along in a in a way that was understandable. And you did not use the legal ease. You use these short vignettes to illustrate and it was organized not chronologically which is most people's go-to when you're doing a kind of memoir-ish book because your book is like a how-to memoir with case studies almost I would call it with signposts and mantras. It's it's a
1: little bit of everything.
0: Yeah but it's organized. With with movie
1: references too.
0: Yeah with movie references too exactly and historical references right. Yeah Yeah, and so I mean it could have been a mess had you not used these themes. And these lessons learned to kind of organize it. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Because when I wrote my memoir, I just, you know, I did it with the scene of my dad dying. And then I flash back. Then I flash Mm -hmm. forward. It's kind of a traditional format. Yours is very difficult. You have to outline that. There is no way to write that book and just write it.
1: Well, it went through so many drafts. It went through Mm -hmm. so many drafts. And what I did, again, you know, I'm so thankful for my wife. Um, She's not an attorney, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. So I would give it to her and I'd say, okay, read this. What do you think? Um, and it's like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't flow. Yeah. And so having trusted people like that, where I could go to and say, okay, can you read this? You know, I'm family read the first chapter and see, does it, is it easy to read? Does it flow? Is it smooth? Is it, and the case examples, a lot of times went through all kinds of different changes and tweaks and nuances. And yeah, I'd go back to the drawing board and I'd say, uh, this example just makes absolutely no sense. You know, there's an example in there based on a real-life story uh, where an individual's in a in a bar, he leaves, uh, goes into the parking lot, uh, there's some dogs, right? Well, that example started out originally, and this has been changed, but I started out with the guy actually being in the bar, firing a gun up in the air. And I said, this sounds just too Hollywood. Nobody... In all my years as as a criminal attorney, I've never once had somebody so drunk they pull out a gun inside of a building and just shoot off into the ceiling. I mean, this seems like this seems like something out of the 1880s in in a saloon, and you know, I'll and, be your
0: huckleberry.
1: Yeah, yeah, in in Tombstone, Arizona, and I said this just is not going to be believable. So I had to go back to the drawing board and, and tweak it and say, okay, you know, I think it makes more sense if somebody's out in the parking lot and. And things like that. So things like that, you you had to just juggle it and, and get a good feel for it.
0: And you have the leeway when you're doing these hybrids is what I loved about it to kind of play with fiction, play with uh, memory, play with your memory, play with your facts a little bit. As long as you acknowledge it to the audience, there's nothing wrong with that. Like these are not, you know, I've changed details and I've done this. I actually had a draft of my first book where I use an actual client, change the name. I ended up changing the gender. I changed the disability. I changed everything. Why? Because her disabilities didn't matter so much as what the result was in her case and what I learned from it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to change almost everything. Cause God, God forbid that someone be able to identify this client. I would not want, I never wanted to be seen as someone that would ever use my clients for my own benefit. I'm using their stories to illustrate atrocity and, and justice and love and mercy. Like, and you talk about that in your book and mm-hmm. It's eight eleven. so I want you to talk about that last chapter, one of your last chapters, which you call Love and Mercy, and shouldn't all of our goal as defense attorneys or prosecutors, whatever role we play or as a judge, making sure that justice is done?
1: That, that should be the calling for everybody in the legal field. It really should yeah. be, um, and, and I'm a firm proponent of that, is yes. justice needs to be done, but justice needs to be done. Uh, In every case, it looks different. That doesn't mean it's biased. That doesn't mean that it shows favoritism, but you really have to look at the facts and circumstances of each and every case Mm -hmm. and judge that case according to its merits. You know, you're going to get in trouble when you set a blanket rule to say like, oh, everybody who's charged with the DUI gets this, or everybody who did this gets that. I mean, there's so many different factors that go into play that makes each case unique. And, and you want to make sure that you look at each and every detail. And, you know, I often tell people that as a, def- as a prosecutor, I felt that my goal was to, you know, uh, seek justice. And as a defense attorney, I felt like my goal was to prevent injustice.
0: Mm, I'm going to steal that. Yeah, you know, <laughs>
1: and then as a judge you know your your role is to make sure that justice is done across the board you know that, mm. that there's no injustice and that you know justice is done at the end of the day you you got to look out for everybody in the courtroom
0: very interesting so well said I got little goosebumps right now. I love that idea that as a defense attorney, our job is to prevent injustice because I do believe that. I think that's why I always say I can do crazy. I can't do sane. And I think it's because the population I represent is so voiceless and they're so, um, they're so powerless. And if they don't have a good attorney, they will be victimized by this system. And I, I really do believe that. I believe that my job is to prevent injustice. So I, I thank you for that statement. That's so powerful.
1: No, you're welcome. And it's not that the system's looking to victimize people. It's right. just you, you, you get lost in the shuffle. Unfortunately, it, it'd be the same thing if, if somebody was asked to basically operate on themselves, Yeah. who, who would do that? You know, you, you need, you need a guide. You need a navigator. You can't just be thrown out there into the woods and say, find your way home. Um, the legal system is a tricky, tricky maze. And yeah. You certainly need a guide to help you through it.
0: Well, tell people how they can find you, your website, how they can get your book. And if they wanted to, you know, reach out to you and get a, anything, a question and and just tell people about yourself, how to find you and your book.
1: Sure. Um, I, ha- uh, I run the law office of Gregory Rollins. Uh, there's a Facebook page for the business on Facebook. I think you can just type in the law, Gregory Rollins, and it should pop up. Uh, You can go to my business website, www.grollinslaw.com, which is my first initial, my last name, and the word law. Uh, And then in addition to that, the book can be found on Amazon. So just go to Amazon. There's like three different versions of the book. You can get uh, paperback. Or if you're like me and you like hardcover, you can get a hardcover. Or if you if you want one on your Kindle, we got an ebook too on there. So go to Amazon, put in "Make Your Case," or put in my name, Greg Rollins. That should pop up. Uh, Juanita, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, thank you.
0: Um, I need to get a hard. I'm. Um, I have a Kindle copy of your book. I'm going to get a hard copy of the book, and I'm going to hold you to sign it for me because it really I would love is to. so well done. And I hope you write another book.
1: Well, we will see. We will see. Uh, Hopefully we don't need another pandemic, but uh, I got to (laughs) find time to do that
0: wifey Um, tell him uh it's so well written it's so well written i really wasn't i you you really there's a lot of craft there one would think you had gotten your mfa or that you majored in writing it's it's beautifully done so thank you for writing that so everyone hold up your book uh go get greg rollins book make your case it will not only help you as a defense attorney it could help a prosecutor it could help someone in law school actually someone in law school would be very uh Smart to buy this book because if you want to be a trial lawyer, it is a treatise on that. So, thank you, Greg. I want to thank everyone for watching. Um, next month, I'm going to have Gina Frangello on my show. She wrote the best selling memoir. Uh, Blow Your House Down. So check that out. It was on the New York Times bestsellers list. And she's a friend of mine on Facebook and agreed to be on. So watch that. That's going to be 7.30pm on Wednesday, April sixth. Check out Greg's book and everyone have a good night. Bye. Thank you for watching. Share this with your friends. And if, uh, if you share, send me a text and I'll put you in a drawing. Bye bye, everyone.